In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow, because her hour is come. But when she has brought forth the child, she remembers no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. Over the last few days, the priests of the Diocese of Arlington were really privileged to spend two and a half days, half of us at the beginning of the week, the other half in the latter half of the week, with Dr. John Bergsma, who teaches theology at Franciscan University of Steubenville. Um, he's also a colleague of, of Dr. Scott Hahn at the St. Paul um, Biblical Center. He spoke to us about priesthood in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, focused on the Gospel of St. John, and especially brought our attention to the passion and death of our Lord as having not only that dimension of the completion of a covenant, about which Scott Hahn has written and spoken extensively, but also how there is uh, our Lord as the bridegroom being presented And the events of the passion and death of our Lord entail a ceremony of matrimony. It's evident as soon as as soon as the the passages of Scripture are, are brought to your attention, and they're amazing. Beginning with the woman at the well. A woman being encountered at the well and offering a drink. In the Old Testament, always precedes a marriage. Not every meeting with a woman at the well involves her offering a drink. It's an act of enormous generosity, especially when the drink isn't just for you, but for your flock, for your herds, for your camels. When our Lord encounters the Samaritan woman at the well, all of that comes into play. Our Lord's flock will not just include those who have already been part of the people of God, but the whole world. The other time that our Lord offers something far better, right? She offers Water, he offers something perfect. The only other time he offers something to drink are at the beginning and the end of the Gospels, at the wedding feast of Cana, where he takes the place of the bridegroom, providing the wine for the celebration. And then at the end of his life from the cross, when blood and water issue from his side. At both of those moments is present the Blessed Virgin Mary. And so our Lord is that virginal bridegroom in the presence of his virginal mother. And what does he say when she points out that there is no more wine? And he says, for us, this isn't a problem. Why do you bring it to our attention? My hour is not yet come. His hour is the moment for which he came to offer himself up. 
And here in this gospel passage, John chapter 16, how does he describe the woman in labor? She has sorrow because her hour has come. Our Lord on the cross makes himself the perfect bridegroom. And his bride, the church, is born. He makes her a mother. Matrimony is the making of a mother of this maiden. And the church, personified by the Blessed Virgin Mary, gives us life, brings us into being through the sacraments that flow from our Lord's holy cross. And even though this third Sunday after Easter happens to fall on this second Sunday of May and Mother's Day, Providence provides for a perfect meditation. Christ has come to offer himself completely that we might have life. And we do have life. And for that we rejoice. In previous, the previous week, we heard of the good shepherd and the flock. And Peter is entrusted with this flock. And he has fulfilled his mission. And there is a flock. There is a church. And so what comes forth from the side of Christ in his hour of labor isn't merely individuals who have life because they uniquely and distinctly believe in him and have a relationship with him. But what comes forth is the body of Christ, the church, ordered under our shepherds. She is and always remains the spotless bride of Christ. When we sin, when even our shepherds sin, we separate ourselves. They separate themselves from the bride. They don't They don't cause the bride to be stained because she is Christ's bride. And yet this mother knows great sorrow. Children who have wandered away. Children who are disobedient. And yet our mother remains. We ask the Lord then to, to give us the grace to love our mother as she deserves to be loved. 
and not to associate with her the bad things that people have done in her name, but to recognize her. To honor Christ, the Lamb of God, who offers up the perfect sacrifice and establishes a new covenant, also as the bridegroom, as the bridegroom of the church, as our bridegroom. And to dedicate ourselves to making reparation for everything we've done and everything we've said and everything we've thought that is not worthy of the dignity of our mother. For so many of us who come from unhappy homes or even broken homes, the church being our mother, Mary being our spiritual mother, can be a great consolation after it causes confusion or even greater sorrow. But all of us yearn to be loved. We, we yearn to be loved by those who know us, not just admired by people who don't know us. We yearn to be loved by the people who know us. And yet that sets up an, an impossible confrontation because none of us are perfect. And so who will perfectly love us when we are perfectly known? God. And as we enter more deeply into the heart of the Lord, we then can love each other as Christ loves us. Not because we are perfect, but because we were chosen to be part of this perfect bride, the church. And so during these weeks of Easter, we realize that we are, we're not just returning back to these particularly mysterious moments that the apostles would have reflected upon after the resurrection, but we reflect on the fulfillment of these sacred words, the fulfillment of these promises. This has come to pass. It's always a great reaffirmation of faith to visit St. Peter's Basilica and to bring pilgrims there, to point out that here is where Peter's bones were buried originally in the first century, and there is where they were hid, hidden. And these are the monuments that were built on top of it, and here's the remains of the basilica that Constantine built in the third century as a mausoleum. And there's the marble that you can see that's been there for 1,700 years. And they can see that if the resurrection had not happened, that tomb would not be there. That basilica would not stand on that place. If the resurrection hadn't happened, Peter and the other apostles would have, would have find, found some way to sneak back to their lives and return to their favorite fishing spots. But they didn't. Because the resurrection happened. And because they were faithful, 
not personally impeccable, but they were faithful. God fulfilled his mission through them. And so over St. Peter's tomb, where now an altar from the 16th century stands and the baldacchino above it, in the dome of Michelangelo are those words inscribed, Tu es Petrus, super hanc Petrum edificabo ecclesiam meam, et tibi dabo clavis reniciorum. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And in that moment you realize that that's happened not just spiritually, but even tangibly. A, a church is built on that rock. And that is the proclamation of the resurrection. But the down further, the nave towards the beautiful alabaster window of the Holy Spirit in Greek on the left and Latin on the right are words that aren't exactly from Scripture, but are the declaration, you have fed well the sheep. The church is born of Christ's labor, his suffering. His love. And she is beautiful. So we ask the Lord to make us even more worthy to be part of this beautiful bride and to give thanks for our mother and the life we have because of her. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.